One of the key things that we need to do to be successful in our lives is determine what takes hold of us and what we take hold of in our lives. Part of living a successful life involves learning everything we can about sowing and reaping. Today, we're looking at another key principle to sow to the Spirit. This message is the 12th in the series, Take Hold of True Greatness. The message is entitled, Keep the Right Perspective. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets for tonight as we turn our attention to God's Word this evening. We're going to wrap up a series of messages we've been involved in, yes, for 13 weeks. Incredible. We've been talking about taking hold. It's been a great series. We started back in September. We're going to conclude it tonight in preparation for beginning the, the Christmas series next weekend. I want to continue to talk to you about keeping the right perspective in your life. How do you keep the right perspective in your life? In this series, we've talked about taking hold, that is making sure that you're taking hold of, you're grabbing hold of the right priorities in your life, that you're being proactive about doing things that you know that God wants you to do, proactive elements of your life, your areas of responsibility, because while God is for you, God will not do everything for you. I'll say that again. While God is for you, the Bible says that God is for you. He's not against you. But even though God is for you, He's not going to do everything for you. You have to learn to cooperate with God and work with God and take hold of the right things in your life and make sure that you're doing the right things and setting the priorities and involved in the right kind of activities with your life. And so we've been talking about some of that. And the Apostle Paul, uh, as we've been focusing the last several weeks in Galatians chapter 6, he talks about some of this take hold stuff, some of this responsibility that we have as Christian believers. Let me read for you again. Uh, Galatians 6, beginning in verse number 7. I'll go down through verse number 10. I am reading from the New King James Version. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap, we will reap if we do not lose heart, if we do not faint, if we do not give up. Other translations say, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul talks here about two potential harvests for your life. He says, if you sow one way, you'll reap one kind of harvest. If you sow another way, you'll reap another kind of harvest. If you sow to your flesh, that is what your sinful nature wants to do. Of that flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, that is what the Holy Spirit, what God wants you to do. Of that, you're going to reap life, eternal life. And so we make choices. See, God doesn't sow your seed for you. He allows you to make choices about the kind of seed that you sow. And sometimes people get all mad at God about the consequences of their life. And really their consequences are simply a result of the kind of seed they've sown along the way. And so Paul reminds us, as a man sows that, he will also reap. And then he says, let's don't grow weary in doing good. That is, don't grow weary sowing good seed because you're going to reap a harvest at the right time if you don't give up. And so he says, if you make this choice to sow good seed along the way, make sure that you keep on doing it. Don't just sow a little bit here and there and from time to time, but you keep on sowing good seed with this mindset, with this perspective. There's the key word, with this perspective that if I keep on sowing good seed, I am going to reap a harvest if I don't give up. So Paul is talking to us about a lot of things, but he's certainly including in his concept here the understanding of perspective. What is perspective? Perspective is the way you look at stuff. 
It's the way you view things. If you had a camera with a viewfinder on it, as we do these cameras here, as the camera operators are, are, are looking through the viewfinder, why don't we give a good round of applause to all of our camera operators, by the way. What a great job they do. And by the way, whether you realize it or not, uh, many times as we're right here worshiping, people literally all around the world are worshiping with us via the web. In fact, we have about 75 people that worship with us every weekend in Kenya because they don't have a church. They all get together in a house and they tune in. So do you believe our camera operators are important? Oh, you better believe they are. Why don't we welcome all the folks by web tonight as well? Let's give them a good round of applause also. Amazing. But these camera operators are looking through a viewfinder, okay? And so they frame their shot. That's what it's called. You frame your shot by looking through your viewfinder, adjusting your focus and determining what's going to be in the shot and what's not going to be in the shot and what the look of that shot is going to be. That's their perspective. And in your life, you have a perspective as well. Your perspective is based upon your personality, kind of who you are as a person. Some of you are extroverts, and some of you are more introverted, and so you tend to view the world in two different ways in that regard. And all of us, us have perspectives that are framed by our experiences in life. If you've had a lot of rejection in life, you tend to frame your relationships in a certain way. If you grew up in a really loving environment at home, you tend to frame relationships a different way. And so all of us have different perspectives. But when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, He wants to make sure we have the right perspective, a godly perspective. Amen? That means all of us need to have some adjustments to our perspective, right? We have to learn to adjust our perspective the right way. And here's what you have to see. You have to understand this in your life, that you are responsible for your own perspective. You're responsible for making sure that you're looking at life God's way. See, God provides us the truth of His Word. He provides us instruction and teaching so we'll understand what is right and good for us. But somewhere along the line, you've got to be willing to look through the viewfinder and make the adjustments and make the right focus points and get your eyes off of things your eyes shouldn't be on, your eyes onto things that they should be on. And so you've got to frame your shot. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, you've got to frame your shot. Go and tell them, you've got to frame your shot. Okay, God's not going to do that for you, right? So you've got the camera, you've got the lens, you've got to frame your shot. And Part of what Paul says here is let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. That is, make sure your perspective is one that doesn't give up. Make sure that your perspective is one that has this view that if I keep on doing good, if I keep on doing the right thing, that there will be a harvest time for me in my life. And by the way, folks, sometimes it's hard to keep your perspective. It is easy to lose it. It's hard to keep it because it's hard work. The devil will do everything he possibly can to try to twist and distort your perspective and get you looking at things you should not look at and thinking about things you shouldn't think about. And before long, your perspective, you framed a shot that's totally out of line with how God wants you to view your life, how God wants you to view him, and how God wants you to view the world. So your perspective is extremely important. Last weekend, I talked about six things that are important in terms of framing your perspective. What do you have to do? Let me review those with you, and then I'm going to talk to you about six more tonight with a, for a total of 12 things you have to do to frame your perspective in life, to take responsibility for that. Number one, last weekend we talked about you have to believe that right will always be rewarded. Remember us talking about that? You're going to do right because it's going to always be rewarded. We talked second of all about believing that patience always pays. We talked last weekend about choosing praise over pouting, right? Not going to be powders, we're going to be praisers, Amen. 
We talked about the importance of processing your problems and your pain prayerfully and positively, that when you go through pain in life, you take it to God. You learn how to work through your pain uh, with God prayerfully and also positively so that your pain turns to something good in life instead of something bad. We talked about keeping your eyes off of others. Amen? Don't spend your time comparing yourself with other people. We had quite a bit of a conversation about that or uh, some communication about that last week. And then also I wrapped up last week talking about remembering your past miracles. So today we're going to dive into six more. You ready for six more? To frame your shot so that you're making sure you're keeping the right perspective in your life. The first one for this weekend is you've got to learn to hold your head up. If you have the right perspective, you have to hold your head up. Now, when it comes to perspective, your perspective is, a, is affected by where your eyes are, correct? If I'm looking here, or I'm looking here, or here, then obviously wherever I'm looking, my, my focal point will be adjusted by, by the direction of my head. My head, where my eyeballs are, will direct the focus of my life. And so often in our lives, we lose our perspective because we have either our head down or our head around and we don't have our head up. And how God wants you to live as a Christian believer is He wants you to live with your head up. First of all, knowing that you're a child of the King, that you belong to Him, and that you are a part of His family. Isn't that great to be able to hold your head high? It means you're not walking around in shame and guilt all the time about your life and what you've done. No, I am forgiven, thank God. I'm a child of the King. I belong to Him. He is my Father, and I worship Him. And so I hold my head up, not in some kind of an arrogance or pride, but in an awareness, actually in humility of the opportunity I have to be a part of His family. So I hold my head high, meaning that I'm not going to live in shame anymore. And for some of you here tonight, that's exactly what you need to get past. It's a shame that's causing you to press your perspective down. You're always looking in and around and back and all those things in life that you haven't done well or where you've messed up. And God says, I want you to leave that stuff behind and get your head up, hold your head up because you are one of my children. You belong to me. You're a child of the King. Say with me, I am a child of the King. That's so important to, hold, to remember in your mind. Keep your head up. Remember who you are. But also head up refers to your faith and your hope and realizing that whatever you go through, see, if you get thrown into water over your head, you better keep your head up. Amen? Because when you put your head down, you're heading towards something called drowning. Okay? And so the only way you can survive oftentimes going through the stuff of life that you and I go through is to make sure you keep your head up. Look at what the psalmist said about this in Psalm 24, beginning in verse number 7. Lift up your heads, you gates be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come. Isn't that wonderful? God says, get your head up so I can get into your circumstance, so I can get into your life, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, Let, lift, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The psalmist asks. The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Let me tell you something. When you get your head up, you're providing an opportunity for the gate for God to come into your world world, for him to step into the circumstances of your life and to help you. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 21, verse 28. He says, when these things begin to take place, he's talking about the latter days, the times that are preparing for his coming back again. He says, when you see all this stuff happening, 
Now, would you agree with me that we see a lot of stuff happening in our world today, don't we? A lot of negative stuff. And Jesus said, when you see this kind of stuff start to happen, don't crawl in a cave somewhere and be all discouraged. He says, don't let it weigh you down. When you see these kind of things beginning to take place, stand up and, what's it say next? What does it say? Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Dear ones, let me tell you something. Yes, there are a lot of bad things happening in our world today, a lot of things that are falling apart, a lot of things that could cause us trouble. But Jesus said, when you see all of this happening, get your head up. Get your head up because something is about to happen. Our redemption is drawing near. So there's no reason for us as Christian believers to live with our heads down. Say it with me. Keep your head up together. Keep your head up. Number two, I mentioned it a moment ago. If you're going to have the right perspective, you have to keep doing good. Don't ever stop doing good. See, the enemy will, would like to tell you that when you do good and you don't see results from it, he would like to tell you that it's not really making any difference, that nothing's really happening here. And he wants to discourage you from doing good. But here's what I, I want to encourage you, actually more in line with what God is saying to us tonight. God wants to encourage you that when you are tempted to stop doing good, do more good. When the enemy comes along and says, that's not working and you're not really making a difference and you just dig in with greater intensity and you start working with greater investment and greater energy because I will tell you, as Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, and 10, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 2 Thessalonians 3, 13, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Don't let the enemy distract you from doing good by discouraging you. When you feel discouraged in the good that you're doing, just keep on doing it and, and just raise the energy level to another degree. Number three, third thing, how do you keep your perspective where it needs to be? You have to accept challenges and problems, imperfection as a part of life. I'll give you a moment to write that down. I want to talk about this one for a bit. Accept challenges, problems, and imperfection as a part of life. If you and I don't learn to accept challenges, the key word there is accept. I didn't say like, okay? I said accept because most of us are not going to like our challenges and we certainly don't like our problems and there are some of us here that really we don't like imperfection. Don't raise your hand on this, but do we have any perfectionists in the room tonight? I saw a few people nudged by the person beside them just then. That's you, okay? And it's really challenging to deal with imperfections when you want perfection in life, but you have to come to accept some life realities. If you don't, your perspective will always be frustrated. Your perspective will always be warped. You'll always have a hard time dealing with life. Jesus said it this way in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So Jesus said, I want, all this stuff I'm telling you is so you can experience something inside of you called peace. The Hebrews called it shalom was their word for it. 
in this world you will have trouble. That is, you're going to have some challenges and problems and imperfection. In this world, while you're living here, this is going to happen. Accept this as a part of life, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, just because you have challenges and problems and imperfection does not mean you cannot have peace. You can actually have peace in the face of your challenges, in the face of problems, and in the midst of imperfection, because your peace is not found in the circumstances, your peace is found in your relationship with Christ. He says, in me, you can take heart because I have overcome the world. That is, peace is found in him. That's where you lean in and find the strength to face those things in life. And so you have to learn to accept some things along the way that you perhaps would rather not accept, but it's one of the ways that you keep the right perspective. Number four, the fourth thing as a part of our journey together this weekend, if we're going to keep the perspective where it needs to be as you and I have to limit our pity parties. Somebody's saying, well, I wish I didn't come to church this weekend. I was having a good one until now. Okay. Limit your pity parties. Let's talk about that for a minute. Limit. Limit your pity parties. Limit it how? Well, first of all, limit who you invite to them. Okay. Be careful with your guest list. Because I found out that if I get the wrong people with me at my pity party, it just really goes downhill. How about you, okay? It doesn't take long, just the wrong people at the pity party. I've got a lot of trouble, okay? So I have enough trouble with me, and so I've got to make sure I'm inviting the right people who are going to help me when I'm going through a pity party, right? Okay? So watch your guest list, okay? Be very careful. Limit the people that you invite to your pity party. Second of all, limit how long you allow it to last, okay? Now, here's the good news. I'm kind of telling you, you can have one, okay? Because the reality is you have them, don't you, okay? And so for me to tell you never have a pity party is unrealistic because you're going to have pity parties in life. And you know what a pity party is? Pitiful me. Life is so hard. Nobody has it like I do. This is terrible. Boo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, you've been there, okay? You know what I'm talking about. And so when you get in those modes and those moods of life, understand, everybody faces that, okay? And so don't beat yourself up. Oh, Christians shouldn't have pity parties. No, Christians have pity parties, okay? But, but as you grow as a Christian, you learn to limit your pity parties by who you invite to them and how long you allow them to last and how far you let them go, Okay? in terms of the, what you allow yourself to get into. And when you know, you know what, i got to turn this thing around. Because I will tell you something about a pity party. If you don't get it at the right point, you let it go too far, it will spiral very quickly downhill on you. And so in life, your perspective is going to get warped at times by pity. And you're going to feel sad for yourself and sad about things in life that will happen around you. Yes, that's real. Grief is real. All those things are real. But make sure you grab hold of it and say, you know what? I'm going to make sure this thing doesn't take me downhill with it. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about this. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to give you a case study and a pity party. Are you ready for this? 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse number 3. Three verses 3 and 4, and we'll read another verse in a moment. Elijah was afraid, afraid. I'll tell you, I'll give you the backstory in this in just a bit as well. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. 
He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Anybody ever said, I've had enough, Lord? Oh, come on. Have you said that before? Okay. I've had enough, Lord. Anybody said, I've had enough, Lord? Okay. Some of you said it this afternoon. Okay. I've had enough, Lord. Okay. I've had enough. Now, now here's Elijah. Anybody think of Elijah in the Bible? He's a, he's a major guy, isn't he? Okay. He's a prophet. He's a miracle worker. Okay. But here you see Elijah in a situation where he's wanting, actually, he's kind of wanting his life to end. Not kind of, he's wanting his life to end. He's in this place of really feeling low. And let me tell you the backstory of this so you understand how he got to this point. Elijah was living in a time of horrible sin in Israel, okay, terrible sin. In fact, most of God's people have walked away from God and they were worshiping the, 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 worshiping, uh, the God called Baal. And there were even many prophets of Baal that were during that era. And so uh, Elijah hears about this, and he challenges the prophets of Baal to go to Mount Carmel and have a showdown. You can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 18. And there's this whole elaborate situation that happens. And so God says, we're gonna, Elijah says, we're going to show you who the real God is. All you people of Israel, we're going to show you who the real God is. We're going to have a couple of altars here, and we're going to let you, all you prophets of Baal can have an, uh, uh, you can have a, an ox to sacrifice. I'm going to have an ox to sacrifice. We're going to put the ox up on the altar, and then we're going to cry out to the God of heaven. And whichever God answers by fire and consumes the sacrifice is the real God. I call that a showdown, don't you? Okay. Okay, so whoever, whichever God answers by fire is the real God. And so the prophets of Baal, they get their sacrifice up there, and they're all kind of running around doing all kind of wild stuff, trying to get uh, Baal to answer. Of course, Baal's not going to answer because there is no Baal, okay? There's no God, okay? And so there, and, and Elijah's over there taunting them. What's wrong with your God? Where is, is he asleep? What's going on? And so he's really rubbing it in to them at that point in time. Nothing happens. So finally, Elijah says, sort of get out of the way, guys. Let me, let's, let's see who the real God is. And he puts the sacrifice up on the altar, rebuilds the altar, puts the sacrifice back up on the altar, gets a bunch of water and pours water all over the sacrifice, okay? Water's running everywhere. Now, everybody knows wet sacrifices. I mean, if we have, have a sacrifice burn from heaven, first of all, it's going to be a miracle, but a wet sacrifice burn, hey, that's really a miracle. So he pours all this water on, then Elijah stands back and calls on the God of Israel, and anybody know what happened? God comes down, consumes not just the sacrifice, burns up the rocks, okay? Everything's just consumed there in that moment. And suddenly, everybody's interested in serving God, okay, right? Things kind of turn around, sort of revival moment that happens. But Elijah's had this massive situation, and now it's been, it's, it hasn't rained for a while. There's a whole lot of backstory here I can't tell you today. And Elijah now has to run for his life because Jezebel is wanting to kill him because Jezebel has now uh, been put to shame by all these prophets of Baal that have happened. And so uh, uh, Elijah has to run into the wilderness for his life. And so he's had this massive, major miracle moment, and he's had to run for his life. And so he comes into the wilderness. He is exhausted, okay? He's exhausted, absolutely worn out. And it's at that moment that he says, God, I've had enough. Just take me home. I want to die. And the Bible says that God puts him to sleep, has him to go to sleep and refreshes him. We'll read some of that in just a moment. But what I want you to see is this. Elijah got to a place because he was physically and emotionally depleted. That's why he was, he was in a pity party. Sometimes, are you listening to me tonight? Are you listening? I want to give you a real nice piece of spiritual 
uh, advice, okay? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest, okay? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap and have some ice cream, okay? Right? You are loving me tonight, aren't you? It's like... Sometimes, because what happens, have you noticed that when you get physically worn out, that your mind doesn't work well? Anybody with me on that? You start, I mean, your mind goes crazy, and so you start thinking stuff that you, you didn't think before because you're just tired, okay? You're worn out. You're depleted, and you're in this place of just complete exhaustion. And so God says, look, Elijah, before I kill you, okay, take a nap, okay? Just take a nap right now, okay? I know you want me to kill you, but take a nap first, and I'll see about that later, Okay? So he puts him to sleep. Let's go back to the story here. Everybody still with me so far? Yes. All right. So verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 10. But he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And so here's this moment that Elijah's feeling all these negative things inside. But there comes a time when God begins to speak to him, and he takes him through this series where there's this massive wind that comes through, and God wasn't in the wind. There was this earthquake that happened, and God wasn't in the earthquake, and there was fire that came through, and God was not in the fire. But then Elijah heard this still small voice of God and after he'd had a time of rest and some food he was able to hear that still small voice of God again and it restored him back to life. His perspective came back around again. He was able to turn his pity party around. And dear ones, let me encourage you in your life, make a decision. Yes, are you going to have some pity parties along the way? Yes, you're going to have a few, okay? Limit them. Be very careful who you invite to them. Be very careful how long you allow them to last and be very careful where it takes you. And sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do when you're having a pity party is just take a break, amen? Just get a little bit of rest and get some restoration physically because it can help you spiritually and emotionally. I know you're loving on me right now, aren't you, okay? Number five, fifth thing. Have the right perspective. You need to know that life troubles come to pass. Life troubles come to pass. I'm not sure if you're like me. I would I'd venture to say you probably are, but I, I know when I'm going through a tough time or something that, that I don't really like very much, it feels like it's never going to end. Does it feel that way to you? It's never going to end. This problem is never going to go away. It's just never going to end. But one of the beautiful things that you see in the Bible as you see people processing problems and difficulties is you see that they, they're only, they only last for a season. Isn't that great to know? I'm glad, I was talking to someone earlier today, I'm glad we live in an area where we get to enjoy all four seasons, aren't you, okay? This is truly God's country because we have all four seasons, okay? And so I love it because I know that at a certain time of the year that winter is going to go away and spring is going to come. And that's true for your life as well, that if you're going through a winter time, Realize that winter is going to come to pass. It will pass by at some point in time, and springtime will be there. And it's good to remember that in the darkness of a night when you're struggling, as perhaps you have waking up at 2 or 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning in the darkness, worrying about a problem or carrying a concern that you have pressing upon you, it's great to remember the sun's going to come out in the morning. Amen? 
That that problem is going to maybe last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There's something ahead for you. And so I want to encourage you to remember that as you go through things in life, those things are temporary. They're not going to last forever. So press through them, realizing that they will, they will only last for a season, and there is a new season for you ahead. There's a new season for you ahead. In fact, I prophetically state that for someone here this evening, that you've been going through a really dark season, and I came tonight. One of the reasons God placed me here this evening is to tell you your season's going to change. You're coming to a new season. There's a new season. 1 Peter 5:10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a while. We don't like that part, do we? But it's there after you've suffered a while, a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Folks, you ought to memorize that verse right there. In fact, it is so good, I'm going to read it again. In fact, it's so good, I think we all ought to read it together. Don't you think so? Are you ready? And I want you to read it with your best Bible reading voice. Are you ready for this? Okay. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Anybody want to add your amen to that one? Now? Amen. Last thing this weekend, how do you keep your perspective? Trust God's resurrection power, His redeeming love, and His restoring grace. I'll give you time to, to write that down. Trust God's resurrection power, His redeeming love, and His restoring grace. Once you've written it down, I want you to look up at me for a moment because I want to talk to you as a pastor. I want, I want to be your, just, if, if I was one-on-one -on -one with you tonight, this is what I would want to say to you, to all of you here. So just look in my eyes up here. God can resurrect dead things. They put Jesus in the grave and they thought they'd beaten him. They thought it was done, it was over with. But on the third day, resurrection power came in that tomb, and the tomb could not hold him. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And one of the things you need to keep in your perspective when you're going through life is never let a dead thing intimidate you, okay? Don't be intimidated by dead things because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and life, and God resurrects dead things. He can resurrect a dead marriage. He can resurrect dead finances. I've known people before that were, I mean, head over heels in debt. I mean, they came to me and said, Pastor, we've got this kind of debt. What are we going to do? I'm like, I'm thinking, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Why are you asking me? Okay. So I can't help you. Okay. You need a miracle. That's kind of what I said. Okay. But God is able to take things that are humanly impossible and are dead and bring them back to life again. Amen. You need to remember that every day of your life. Frame your mindset on that, that if something looks dead, so you know what, I am not intimidated by death because Jesus is the one that conquered death. Amen? I'm not intimidated by it. And remember the second thing here. Jesus is able to redeem failures. Are you still looking at me? He's able to resurrect dead things and redeem failed things. If you've made some major mistakes in your life, and you've messed up along the way, the good news is that when you come to Jesus Christ, He is able to redeem those things. He's able to buy them back and put them through His filter of mercy and kindness. 
and make a message out of your mess, okay? Whatever your mess has been, he is able to redeem it. It is so important for you to remember that in your life. Does that in any way, in any way encourage you to go out and make a mess so you can have a message? No, okay? Don't do that. But the reality is, is that all of us make messes along the way, don't we? And it's good to remember that in the midst of our mess, there is a redeeming God that He resurrects dead things and He redeems our messes, our failures. And I want to give you one more word. Are you still looking at me? He restores broken things. That when things are broken, things are dysfunctional, when things are not working the way they're supposed and designed to work, Jesus is the one who restores those kind of broken things. You have to keep this in your perspective at all times. There is nothing dead that Jesus cannot resurrect. There's no failure that Jesus cannot redeem. There's nothing broken that Jesus cannot restore. That's your perspective. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now hear the words of Jesus. Read them with me. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. What does that mean? What it means is where the enemy has stolen, Jesus is able to restore. Where the enemy has killed, Jesus is able to resurrect. And where the enemy has destroyed, Jesus is able to redeem. And so all of those things, Jesus said, what the enemy comes to do, I come to reverse that curse in your life. Whatever the curse of the enemy has been, I've come to reverse that for you in your life. So keep the perspective. Your perspective is important. It frames your view. What you look at, how you look at the world is determined by the perspective you have. Twelve things are going to be on the screens, I believe. If they are, read them with me. Number one, believe that right, well, is it on there? Yeah, read with me. Believe that right will be rewarded. Number two, believe that patience always pays. Number three, choose praise over pouting. Number four, process problems and pain prayerfully and positively. Number five, keep your eyes off of others. Number six, remember past miracle moments. Number seven, hold your head up. Number eight, keep doing good. Number nine, accept challenges, problems, and imperfection as part of life. Number 10, limit your pity parties. Number 11, know that life troubles come to pass. And number 12, read this one firmly with me, trust God's resurrection power, redeeming love, and restoring grace. Keep the right perspective. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for instructing us in the word of God. I pray that it would find good soil in our hearts, produce much fruit for us, for our lives, for our families, for the future you have for us. Let it settle deeply in us, Lord, and change the way we think. Help us to adjust our perspective and keep it where it needs to be by your power and grace. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. 
Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.